Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property and of course the subject can only be coronavirus and we catch up with a real estate agent at the Colfax, Stuart Maloney of Century 21. I'm keen to see how his online auctions are going and what's the reaction to people in the market? Are they getting turned off and therefore should we be worried about a 30% fall in house prices as one uh, predictor made the prediction of? I don't think it's going to happen but still you can't... Uh, you can't say things are, are normal and therefore those sort of things can happen. Then we'll talk to Margaret Lomas of destiny.com.au. Margaret is an expert on property. A lot of people go to her to be advised on how you become a successful property investor. I want to know what property investors are saying right now. And secondly, if you are a property investor, what's your position when it comes to landlord insurance? There's some controversial um, issues around that. Some landlord insurance apparently uh, is not likely to pay out. So that's a good, a good issue that we'll be looking at. <clears throat> and finally, we talked to the chairman of M Squared Capital, John Thomas, on how a mortgage fund is dealing with the challenges of the coronavirus. That's the show for tonight. So let's kick off with Stuart Maloney from Century 21, a real estate agent at the Coalface. On the Switzer TV property show, we always like to talk to somebody who's actually at the coalface, seeing what's going on. Today we have Stuart Maloney, uh, a real estate agent and auctioneer with Century 21 at Menai. Stuart, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the program. Now, mate, being a very professional real estate agent, as I know you are, I'm sure at the beginning of the year you thought, let's do a risk management um, uh, uh, plan for the year and I'm sure you, you wrote down coronavirus as being the greatest threat to your business. Is that true? <laughs> well, I think a cat's got nine lives and we're up to about eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody did that and I've got to say I, I wrote something like five stories about the, the potential threat but I just didn't see it being as, as big and as aggressive as this. I guess it's, it's staggered you. How has your real estate market where you are responded to the new world you're, we're operating in? Well, it's certainly been challenging times. Um, and, you know, every, every week we have to wait for a government announcement to, to basically defer or give us a tiny little bit of information and, and keep things on a, on a drum line. But we've had five auctions that we've done digitally recently. And uh, one of those was, was uh, withdrawn from auction. Yeah. And of the four that we took, um, two of those we've now gone under contract. So I think at the moment, um, if I look at it from the consumer's perspective, um, deals are still being done. Um, to, to use the biggest phrase, cash is king. Mm. That's probably the, the most important thing at the moment. And if you're a buyer, well, we all know this, uh, if you're a fringe buyer that has an aspiration of upgrading or you're thinking of downsizing, if you don't have to do it, those buyers are just simply just not doing it at the moment. Mm. Tell me the, the two, so you, you've done two successful online auctions. Um, did, it get, did it beat the reserve or get close to the reserve? So the first one we did uh, was a week before the government uh, made the announcement that there was no open homes. So we had an inclination that there was going to be some restrictions of movement. So we thought, well, let's try the online system for a, a live on-site auction. Yep. Um, there was three buyers that we had. Uh, one of them had lost their job. They were a baggage handler at Qantas. Um, and the other two buyers decided because they had the choice to be there in person rather than bid online, um, they chose to do that. And we actually did sell that just above reserve. Um, okay. And that was probably the, the, the point when things, you know, obviously took a bit yeah. of a, a downturn. So. 
Yeah, and the, and the second one, which I guess was r r after all the, uh, the bad news had been uh, presented to us, how did that do? Um, so interesting with that one. So we, we, we still held firm with our procedure because we had a, a plan, which was, you know, it would just be digital instead of physically yep. on site. The two buyers that we had interested, um, one buyer uh, ended up uh, basically not bidding because their solicitor's advice was the property was tenanted. Um, and unless we had any clarification from the government, a six months uh, moratorium on uh, rent and evictions, what on earth does that mean? And, and at that point in time, you can't blame the legal practitioner for yeah. recommending that to the client. So that was a, a legitimate reason. And the main bidder that we had um, that expressed interest to register and bid online, um, their uh, child actually had um, some respiratory issues. Uh, so they hit the panic button on Saturday morning, took their child to the hospital and said, real estate's not important, you know, my, my, my family is, which again, you can't blame them, so. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's at this stage, it's not conclusive, but you know, I, I guess you, you're used to it. Um, have, have you seen a lot of potential sellers just withdraw the property saying, well, these are just strange times, I'm not going to sell my property in a strange market? Definitely. So we have uh, an auction which is scheduled for a fortnight's time because this weekend is obviously Easter and we're doing the right thing by closing on the Saturday. Yeah. Um, but we had one for the week after and at this point I could count on you know two hands the amount of inquiries that we've had. So. For that vendor, um, and particularly with realestate.com, the main portals that they advertise on, they've given a vendor the opportunity that they can relist their property um, at no additional cost within a time frame. So I applaud the websites for doing the right thing and helping. So, you know, that vendor said, well, if it's not meant to be today, that's okay. We'll just live to fight another day. Um, okay, so I would have thought for anyone who felt secure in their job, and I guess public servants and school teachers and people in the military would, would be those sorts of people. They would be, you know, uh, bargain hunting at the moment, hoping to snag themselves a great deal from someone who's, who's desperate and has to sell. Are you seeing evidence of that? Um, we are. So prior to the that announcement, I think it was Tuesday the 24th, whichever it was when the government said no open homes and, and no, uh, no more uh, on auctions in person. Hmm. We had a scenario where we had um, two buyers. We had one that was going to pay a higher price, um, but they were hoping that their buyer was going to proceed with their calling off period, which kept getting extended and extended. And we had a buyer that was $20,000 lesser, but it was a certainty. It was a done deal. Um, and, you know, that particular vendor chose certainty over hmm. um, the risk of, you know, is that particular buyer that is buying, you know, that other subsequent purchase, are they going to lose their job? Uh, my wife works in the airline industry and we've just been given notice that she's been stood down. So mm -hmm. what might have been, you know, normal protocol two weeks ago with pre-approval, um, unless the buyer checks with their mortgage broker, they actually may not even be pre-approved today and they don't even know that. So yeah. so, so, from your point of view then, you're, you're, I guess, prepared for three or even six months worth of unbelievably um, challenging circumstances until the, the world becomes normal again? Well, I'd like to think definitely. I'd like to think that, you know, in three or four months' time when we start to see things hopefully relax a bit yep. and we can sort of have life return to normal, um, that I just hope that, you know, people are going to have more gratitude and appreciate the things that they could do prior. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not focusing on what we can't do today. We're focusing on what we can do. Um, but it is challenging times. And if I look at my rental side of my business, we've got a large proportion of tenants that have lost their job. Um, certainly in the commercial section of our, our business, um, you know, there's zero people paying rent at the moment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, internally for my own stuff, we've had to reduce hours and say goodbye to people we've worked with for a long time. So yeah. I'm yet to meet one person that's not affected by this yet, Peter, and, and we all are in some way, shape or form. Yeah. yeah. On, on that subject, uh, and some real estate agents have got themselves in trouble with ASIC because they're giving advice and things like that about using their super to pay their, their rent. It must be a difficult situation because on one hand, you've got tenants who are really important to your your process, but so is the landlord. The landlord effectively is your client, but the, the, the tenant is a stakeholder in the whole process. Um, are, you, are you happy with the, at least some clarities come out today? Uh, it, it, the point of this program going to where we still don't have any certainty on the residential side of, of tenancies yeah. um, and in respect to at least New South Wales because I understand Queensland, the government's given them a couple of thousand dollars or I believe that's the case um, mm. where they can offset uh, for a tenant. But for New South Wales at the moment, all we have in place is forms where we can be information gathering from the tenant. Um, I certainly do not believe that a tenant is going to be opportunistic um, and if they have an opportunity for a cash grab that they are, they're not. You know, People are not... Yeah, putting their hand up for reduction if they don't genuinely need it. So yeah. at the moment, in the absence of how we can interpret the legislation, um, it's a really, really challenging time. Yeah. Um, so I certainly think Dan Murphy's subscriptions have gone up, that's for sure, certainly for my stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I guess the bottom line is, if, if you are a landlord and your, your tenant genuinely has been stood down, like, for example, it could be a, a Qantas or a Virgin employee, yeah, they are in a difficult situation to, to make the payments. And I, and I guess a lot of landlords will be talking to their bank to see if they can defer their repayments because that's an important part of their process is the, the equation between the rent coming in, the, 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 um, the interest from the loan has to be paid, also the fact that the loan is there to, to make sure they, the property continues in their ownership. It, it really is a difficult situation, isn't it? Well, it's certainly, you know, love the property manager at the moment. It's, it's, we really don't have any, um, I guess, empowerment if we can say to the tenant, great news, your, rent, your landlord has frozen uh, your rent for the next month mm. because for the landlord has uh, a landlord insurance policy and as late as Friday afternoon, um, one of the landlord insurance companies, we sought to get clarification. Um, imagine being in this situation, you've got a landlord insurance policy and the landlord wants to do the right thing, they would like to reduce the tenant's rent by, call it 50%. Yeah. Um, at the present moment, um, even the landlord insurance policies don't have a clause to cater for that. And what we are seeing is landlords that are, you know, goodness of their heart, including the managing agent, trying to uh, negotiate a rental reduction, um, only to find that they may be before the courts in six or seven months' time because they've then null and void a landlord insurance policy. So there's a lot of yeah. Unintended consequences at the moment. So, and I've, I've been led to believe, uh, Stuart, that if the tenant doesn't pay, just says, I'm not going to pay, the landlord's insurance works. We've had tenants say that to us at the moment. Yeah, but if a tenant and the landlord have some sort of agreement to even reduce it, and then the t- landlord tries to get the part that he's not getting, uh, for, for, that could be null and void the policy. Well, uh, the, the insured event is uh, when the tenant vacates. And it's also, it has to go to the relevant, uh, you know, for, for us in New South Wales, it's yeah. uh, NCAT, also known as the tribunal. So it has to go through to that stage before the landlord can make a claim. So how would you be in a situation if the tenant said, well, take me on my word, um, I'll uh, pay half my rent and uh, look, uh, I'm going to do a payment plan 
um, because it's not it's not a free lunch. They do have to pay the shortfall back, uh, and then the tenant stays in the property. Um, most landlord insurance policies at the moment say, well, the insured event occurs when the tenant has vacated. So, you know, where are we going to be in the next five or six months? So, for the landlords that are wonderful natured, trying to do reductions, I would urge them to just please hold off until we get some legislation that we can interpret to each yeah. state or territory, um, because the last thing that you want to do is, uh, you know, have uh, being a breach of the own landlord policy. Yeah, it's, it really is a difficult situation. Uh, tell me this, if you have a tenant who just says, I'm not going to pay, I'm staying here, like, effectively like a squatter, does landlord insurance cover that kind of uh, predicament, you know, where it still might take you months to get someone out and they're, they're, they're sort of, you know, saying they're, they're going to be a squatter? Obviously, without giving financial advice, we gave you to you. Um, depends on the policy wording, but for majority of the landlord insurance policies, unless the event occurs and that trigger is that property that the tenant has absconded or they won't vacate, um, or with the moratorium after that six-month period has obviously elapsed, then we can obviously apply for termination for non-payment rent. So mm. if you're a landlord in that situation, um, it's, it's yeah, very, very scary. It's a, bit, it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it? Because no one would have expected this sort of thing ever to happen. But um, as you know, the word moratorium implies, they do have to, to pay the rent if you can. Um, and it's, it's not, a, not a free right here. So mm. I just hope that by the time the program comes to where that we do have some clarification with that and the landlord does have an understanding. And you know, we've got uh, lots of new, new landlords coming onto the market at the moment and normal protocol would be, uh, we'd ask them for their landlord insurance. Um, if they don't, uh, we can't recommend a product, but we'd ask them to take it out. Yep. Um, you're in a position now that you can't even take out landlord insurance because there's an embargo on that. So you know, where would you be if a tenant um, decided to get a can of paint and, and damage the place? Yep. Um, they wanted to take out landlord insurance. It's not because uh, the tenant's not paying rent. Uh, well, at the moment, you can't even take out landlord insurance. So it's, there's a lot of unintended consequences. Why can't you take out um, landlord insurance? Because primarily the insured event is for rent loss or malicious damage. And there are a lot of landlords or managing agents trying to say, well, we don't know what's going to happen with the tenant. Uh, neither does the tenant know whether they're going to have a job, to be quite honest. Yeah. So why don't we just take out insurance policy uh, just in case we need it uh, for you know that rainy day. And the insurance uh, companies have basically all said, look, landlord insurance, we're just going to pause that on ice for the time being for obvious yeah. reasons. So. Yeah. So it's like they don't want to sign up to a, a deal that could come back to really haunt them. But Stuart, thanks for joining us on the program. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Peter. Well, during these unusual property times, um, I never thought I'd be talking to Margaret Lamas of Destiny Financial about something like this. Uh, but she's the right person to go to because she has lots of clients who she's helped into property uh, investments over the years. Margaret, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's kick off with a question a lot of people are asking. Uh, landlord insurance, will it cover it? Well, Peter, it has been difficult to get a straight answer out of landlords insurers. And at the moment, they seem to be treating it on a case-by-case -case basis. But what I think I've been able to establish is that as long as you had your landlord's insurance before there was a pandemic declared, and as long as you do the right things, then you will still be covered by landlord's insurance. But I want to be able to make it clear exactly what this means. 
Firstly, if you make an agreement with a tenant to reduce your rent because they're suffering some kind of financial hardship, then you won't be covered for the difference between what you're getting from the tenant and what you used to be getting because the landlord's insurer considers that you've had an agreement with the, with the tenant. So you've made that agreement you're no longer covered because you knew full well that it was going to be reduced rent and it isn't considered loss of rent at all. On the other hand, if you haven't made an agreement with your tenant and your tenant either stops paying rent altogether or only pays you partial rent, then as long as you follow the system, which is to issue late notices at the, at the, the time periods that you're meant to, which I think is every week or every two weeks, as long as you issue the late notice and continue to communicate with that tenant and continue to advise them that they're late and how late they are and how much they still owe you, then I understand that you are covered for that loss of rent. But I guess what you're implying is that some insurers might have different policies, so you really should be talking to your insurer. You need to talk to the insurer if you can get on the line, and it is difficult at the moment because there's definitely long wait times. You can send an email if you like. Sometimes they have online chats as well, although you tend to wait just as long on those. But I think the important thing is that it's it's being made very clear to tenants that you can't just get a, a discount in rent at the moment because all your mates are, and that it isn't a, re a rent holiday that you're going to get that even if you come to some kind of an agreement with your landlord to not pay rent for a while, it is still due and payable at the end of the time. I think that's where it starts to become a little bit unclear. If you end up making that arrangement for them not to pay rent for a little while, make it very clear that it does become due and payable at the end of the period so that if they then don't pay it, you've got all that paperwork to be able to chase it up as loss of rent. Okay. Now, Margaret... And part of your job has always been to educate potential property investors about how you go about you know, be, being a successful property investor. But did you ever cover off on the threat of a pandemic and what that might do? No, we didn't. But certainly, I guess, in our case, one of the things that we've always done and made sure that we've done is ensure that we don't allow a client to buy property unless we know they have plenty of backing behind them. So, you know, other companies let their clients borrow up to 90% of valuations or get into otherwise situations where there's no room to move. We always make sure that not only is there plenty of equity in a client's portfolio before we suggest that they buy more property, but there's plenty of cash flow behind them before they invest in property as well. You know, I know at the moment it's difficult because people are losing their jobs, but we like to see clients with money in the bank that can sit behind them during times like this and make sure that they can keep up with their repayments. We always plan for loss of tenant and long vacancy periods. And I guess in a lot of ways, this is very similar to that. Yeah. What, what about the, um, the option of getting the bank to defer the loan? That's a good thing, isn't it, for, for property investors, as long as it doesn't go on too long? Yeah, look, if it's something that you need, if you've lost your job unexpectedly, if for some reason you don't have those cash buffers behind you, and remember, if you do have those cash buffers behind you, use them 
Don't ask for the repayment holiday to keep those cash buffers there. Use the cash buffers. But if you don't have them behind you, you suddenly find yourself in that unexpected situation. You have absolutely as much right as an ordinary homeowner, owner-occupier, to approach the bank and ask for some kind of payment arrangement. Now, it may not be a complete repayment holiday. It might be a reduced repayment at the moment. And the very first thing that I would do if I was in the situation where I thought I might have struggled a little bit with repayments is approach the bank about whether or not you actually have the best interest rate on offer and the best discounts on offer, because not everybody does have that in place already, and that might be a good place to start. But I do want to caution anyone who's thinking about taking a repayment holiday to be very aware of what it really means. And what it means is this, the amount of money that you don't pay will get added on to your loan. Now, not only will that mean your loan will be longer than it already was, but most likely longer by a greater amount than the period of time you're taking a repayment holiday for. And that depends on what you do with repayments. When you go back to making those repayments again, they're likely to be higher. And remember, anything that you've added on to the end of that loan because you didn't pay it now is both principal and interest. And it means that you'll be charged interest on interest. Mm. Yeah, it's a very good point. Margaret, do your best guess. If this coronavirus knocks out normal business for three months, what do you think will happen to house prices? It's a good question and we don't have a lot of history to be able to look back on. And the only thing that I can look back on that is, and I can't say similar, but gives me a little bit of a feeling around what might happen is the global financial crisis. Now, during that time, we heard that 20% was taken off property prices. But when we examine those markets in detail, the burden of that 20% was held largely by top-end property. What typically happens is people start to sell off holiday homes, so the things they've got is, I guess, toys. They start to look at downsizing from big homes that they may no longer need, and they also don't rent them anymore. So those high-end properties that get the big rents, that people don't rent them anymore. They look for cheaper properties to rent. And what we generally see happen during a time like that is those investors who are still interested and in seeing that there's an opportunity still want to buy, but they tend to approach it with probably a, as a little more of a risk-averse investor than they were before, and they start to look in those lower price ranges. Now, during the GFC, what actually happened in those lower price ranges is in some of the areas, we saw an increase in value during the GFC, but we also saw an increase in rents because more people were renting and more people were renting in those lower price ranges. So I would think that we're still going to get a number of property investors. I've done a little bit of a survey on social media and also amongst my clients to see whether people see it as danger or opportunity. And a good proportion of people saw it as opportunity that they wanted to take advantage of. So we'll still see some active investors. We'll probably see them looking in slightly different markets than they were looking to give themselves a bit more protection around this uncertainty. And I don't think we'll see a lot of difference in those lower end prices, but we definitely will see those high end prices fall for sure. Yeah, and I guess some people who were planning on selling will withdraw their property from the market 
which also provides a bit of, secure, uh, sort of a safety net for house price falls as well. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the people withdrawing their properties from the market will be people who are upsizing. So we're going to see upsizers decide to wait before they do that, which means, again, less demand in those higher-end properties as upsizers stop, then they're going to stay in the houses that property investors typically buy and there may even be a little bit more pressure. I don't expect it to be big pressure. I don't think we'll see a boom in lower-end property. I'm thinking more a floor under it or a bit of a buffer so that it doesn't really lose much in the way of value. Okay, Margaret, as always, thanks for joining us and keep safe. Thank you, you too. Well, at a time when property, like all assets, is under pressure from the coronavirus, I'm talking to John Thomas, who's a chair of M Squared Capital, which is a company that basically um, links property to, to loans and to investment projects. And this is going to be very interesting to see how he thinks his business is being affected. Um, JT or John Thomas, good to see you. Thanks, Peter. So you've been around for a long time. I've known you for a long time. Uh, this coronavirus and how it's affecting business, what do you think is going on? Well, I think I've lived through many crises, GFC, um, Y2K and others. This is all encapsulating. It's affecting our personal lives. It's affecting our business lives. It's affecting the way we live. And so, and of course, it's also affecting commerce. So we haven't seen something like this mm. since about 1919 with the Spanish flu. Yeah. Why don't you explain to people who are watching this uh, program what M Square Capital does? And you being the chair, we then can talk about the kind of risk management that you obviously engage with, yep. hoping that this period is not going to be as, uh, as long as some people are suggesting. Mm. Peter, M Squared provides first mortgage finance to borrowers and it links those with investors. Mm. Uh, at the moment, commercial quality commercial first mortgage finance is paying investors returns of around six and a half, seven, which is quite incredible mm. compared to what you might get on term deposits. Yeah. But, but you've been around for a long time and you know that some people think, well, I'm going to 6 or 7%, that's fantastic. That's what I used to get with a term deposit. But a lot of people don't realise that this kind of investment is not as secure as a term deposit because there's no government guarantee. Yep, uh, it's not a government guaranteed investment. However, you get the priority of a first ranking mortgage yep. over the property and we only lend to 65%. Yeah, so that's what you, you do to inbuild yes. lower risk. Yes. Ultimately, there's still risk, but you try to do it. Now, explain where the idea of the business came from, because obviously we've met the two Pauls, yes. who were the founders in the past, but then you being the chair, you would have had an influence over what this business looks like. So why don't you actually tell us how the business actually operates? Uh, I was approached by the Pauls because my background is running some of the biggest mortgage funds in the country. Mm. Uh, I've known both of them for a while and they said to me, JT, is the time right? Mm. And I said yes, mm. because of the arbitrage between term deposits and what you can get on quality mortgages. Mm. So we've set up a whole risk profile about the type of borrowers that we would lend to, how we would assess those borrowers, the type of properties we would lend upon, and how we would manage downturns in property, mm. and indeed borrowers not paying. Mm. And so the fund has been set up now for about 12 months, uh, and we have about $50 million in funds under management. Mm. So therefore, if a borrower came to you 
and they had a, a property say it was worth $10 million, um, you would be prepared to lend them at the very most 6.5 million, 65%? We would, Peter, but if somebody had a $10 million property, mm. I would consider that to be quite luxurious. We might reduce that LVR lower, mm. but as a standard, yes, no more than 65%. And, and what do these people usually use the money for? Well, the good thing, and the Prime Minister's talking about this, this is small to medium enterprise mm. borrowers. Mm. So they're borrowing money to enhance their business opportunities mm. in a whole variety of businesses and offering uh, property as security. Quite often uh, commercial property, industrial property and residential property. Okay. Now, uh, these people, um, obviously like all businesses, are going to be threatened by the coronavirus. How are you guys in building the risk management of these borrowers because of the coronavirus? Yep. I, uh, a bit of luck and a bit of good management, Peter. We've only been going 12 months. We don't have any borrowers, thank goodness, who are directly impacted by the coronavirus. Mm. So nobody who runs a restaurant which has been closed, nobody that's in travel. Mm. Having said that, there are secondary um, issues to concern because of downturn. So all of our borrowers are meeting their obligations. Um, if anybody got into difficulty, that approach is for hardship and we'd provide that. Mm. But at this stage, the underlying security being the properties are all holding their value well. Mm. And so if anybody did fall into arrears, we would manage them through that process. Yeah. And I guess because there is the likelihood that the, the problems prevailing now are going to be relatively short-lived, like, for example, we've heard the Prime Minister say in six months, Mm. Most of this will be, will be over. It may well be shorter, and I guess you'd be hoping shorter, so am I in my <laughs> business. But, but at least there's a good chance that, okay, if you've gone through a, a rough patch for six months, there could be a fantastic six months after it as recovery kicks in. Yes, we, um, my crystal ball isn't as shiny as I want, but I believe that we should be out of this isolation period in three or six months. Mm. China's out of it now. Mm. And I think the business will pick up very quickly, mm. particularly retail mm. and particularly financial services. So any downturn in terms of drop in sales, drop in uh, property values, I think will be made up fairly quickly. Mm. So when you're in a position of being a, a chairman of a company like this, and you you're obviously sometimes have to be you know, hard-nosed with you know, the executives of the company, what, what, what are you telling the executives right now about how they should navigate the business through these tricky times? The first thing I guess when you get a bit of grey hair Peter is to say to people stay calm mm. and that might sound obvious but so many people in a storm lose their nerve so I'm saying to the Pauls stay calm let's look at each situation as it comes up um, and if a borrower has a problem we'll work through with it. Mm. Interestingly we're still available to provide new credit but obviously in this market with the knowledge of coronavirus it probably sounds unfair, but we wouldn't lend to any borrower at the moment mm. who was directly impacted by the virus. Mm. So our attention at the moment is to make sure that our investors are at all times aware of what we're doing, mm. how we're managing the portfolio, and also we keep in touch with the borrowers. Now, at this point, uh, that we, we do not have one borrower that's in arrears. A couple of them have called and said they're a little bit st uh, stressed financially. Yeah but they're on top of it. Okay, um, and I guess the bottom line for you is that it's, just, it's a matter of managing your portfolio of borrowers. 
Um, but I guess at the moment, I guess all lending institutions would be getting a bit of a challenge because people are not sure where they should put their money. How do you overcome that obstacle or is it just going to be like a, a wait and see thing? Once the worst is behind, people will start looking at alternative investments more objectively? Yeah. Peter, I think you've answered the question. In times like this, people lose confidence to various degrees. Mm. And there's always, whenever there's a crisis like this, a flight back, particularly in Australia, to our pillar banks, and you'd expect that. Uh, as I said before, I think if the crisis is over quickly, people will soon start to spend money and in the financial services sector, mm. start to look for alternate investments. Now, banks are a very important part of our structure, mm. but with interest rates at an historical low, if you had some money to invest, you'd probably want more than 1% on it. Yeah. Hence, I think that commercial mortgage funds will again become very attractive very quickly. Yeah. And I guess the, the, you being in the industry for a long time, everyone would love term deposits to be 5 or 6%. If they were, inflation would probably be 3 or 4%. <laughs> um, but still, people like, like the mm. idea of 5 or 6%. Mm. The, the bottom line for people like you and me who've been in the industry for a long time, when you start moving away from the absolute safe term deposits, it's then important to have diversification, isn't it? Yes. Rather than putting your eggs all in one basket, yes. you have a group of, of alternative investments and try and spread the risk. Yes. So we have uh, exposure risk to individual borrowers, to property types, property location, sector type. Mm. So that, again, when we come out of this crisis, we'll make sure that the book is well diversified. Okay. Some people have heard you talk about a mortgage fund and they don't really understand how, how a mortgage fund works. So why don't you explain that? A mortgage fund is simply collecting money from investors, putting that money together and the investors saying, sir, we think you have probably a little bit more expertise than us. Can you go and find borrowers and properties which we could invest in because yes, we want to take some money out of term deposits at 1% mm. and potentially get a 6% return. So the fund manager is the middleman between yeah. investors and between locating and assessing good borrowers. Yeah. But lots of mortgage funds would actually invest in building projects that relate to mortgages. You guys have a twist on that, don't you really? Yes, well, we do. Uh, we mainly do uh, take a security residential and industrial properties. Yeah. We took a view when we set up the fund, although we had no knowledge what was coming, we have not at this stage and will not for a while do any construction loans. Mm. So if a borrower got into difficulty, we wouldn't have that added risk of potentially having a half-finished 14-storey building. Mm. All the properties we take a mortgage over are complete and are readily saleable. So that's a very deliberate strategy we've taken. And you've also, and so in a sense, you're lending on other activities, like yes. uh, hopefully a successful business, and the person who's borrowing it says, well, here's my $10 million house, I'll put that up as, as security. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But you've also been discriminatory in terms of regions around Australia, and some of our friends in WA would be saying, why? <laughs> why, I think, uh, and when I ran a national fund, we lent money everywhere, but mm. when you start again, you start small. Yeah. And my view is you always start in your own backyard and then you expand. Mm. So at the moment, we would look at loans in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. Mm. As we get comfortable with that and we can settle some more loans, we would look to go further afield. Yeah. So in a sense, the East Coast, 
you must think is, a, is an easier market to sell. Yes. I know the Adelaide market's always a bit slow, but yes. it does rise. Um, WA's had, had a rough spot after yes. having a fantastic spot. Yes. So there's more security in the East yep. Coast. Yep. Less volatile. And Perth's a great place. I've visited there often, mm -hmm. Peter. But when it's booming, it's booming. And when it's busting, it's busting. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to tell someone who is you know, interested in M Squared Capital? Give us a call and we'll talk to you about the opportunities that are available. But more importantly, how we manage the risk. Because at the end of the day, when somebody gives you their money, they want to get it back. Yeah. And we are happy to sit down and tell people how we mitigate all risks, including if this was four months ago, nobody knew about coronavirus, but the risks that we have built in are protecting our investors at the moment. John Thomas, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. That's John Thomas, Chairman of Integrate Capital. Well, that's the show for the night. Thanks for joining us. On Monday, which is Easter Monday, of course, we're doing a special where we've interviewed a whole lot of very, very informed fund managers and brokers to see how they're responding to what's going on. We ask them five short, sharp questions and they give us five short, sharp answers. You want to be tuning into that if you're worried about the stock market and wondering whether this is a buying opportunity or not. And also I've been informed to tell you that um, my book, Join the Rich Club, is a 30% reduction over Easter. It's our Easter gift to you. Just go to Switzerstore dot com dot au